Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. First Kings chapter 11. I want you to notice as we begin in verse number, uh, let's say verse, let's go ahead and read verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Verse 3, And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. You know, I always heard that Solomon was the wisest of men. Can you imagine having 300 wives and having 300 mother-in-laws? That really wasn't that smart. Especially they were like mine and came live with me. But anyway, verse number four, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father." I want you to notice the phrase there in verse number four, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord. Wasn't complete. The greatest enemy to being great is satisfying for being good. In our Christian life, if you have not noticed this yet, our nation is in terrible fix right now. Our world is in a terrible fix. The world's always going to be bad. The world's always going to get worse. If I was home, I'd say worser. But since I'm here, I'm dignified, so I'll say worse. You and I are living in a day when not only is the world getting worse, but Christendom is getting worse. We're living in a time when serving God and living for Christ and being absolutely, totally dedicated to Him, for Him to have the preeminence in our life has become something that's frowned upon. Either consciously or subconsciously, we, we count our faithfulness to God as long as it doesn't cost me something. I'll be faithful as long as I can still do what I want to. I had a young man in our church some years ago came to me and felt like God was calling him into the ministry. And I told him, I said, that's great. I said, what do you think God wants you to do? He said, I think God wants me to be a preacher. I said, that's good. That's wonderful. And he said, you know, I've told God that I will serve him anywhere, anytime, 
as long as it's here in Central Texas. And I told him, you'll never really serve God with that attitude. You and I as born-again believers, I'm not talking about preachers now, I'm not talking about staff members now, I'm talking about you and I as born-again believers. We will never become what God intends for us to become until He has the preeminence. Until serving Him and living for Him and following His commands and living a life of purity before Christ, until that becomes priority, we will never become the child of God that God wants us to be. Be saved? Absolutely. Solomon was a believer? Absolutely. But he began to do that which was evil in the sight of God. Why? Because he listened to the influence of the world that he was living around. They began to make more of an impression on him than the Word of God made upon him. If you read the life of Solomon very carefully, you'll find that he, he never totally apostatized. First Kings talks about that he, every year, three times a year, at the feast time, he would always offer the sacrifices. He would go and give those sacrifices at the temple. But his heart did not fully follow Christ. I've often asked myself, what, what happened to Solomon? What happened to him? And I began to look at my own life. Pastor said I'd been preaching for over 50 years. That's true. As a matter of fact, I just celebrated 60 years of preaching. If the plane doesn't crash on my way home Tuesday, then on Thursday I'll celebrate my 80th birthday. Preaching for 60 years. As I thought about, as God was giving me this message a week or two ago, I began to think, you know, 60 years ago, I believed the Word of God. I believe that everything in the Bible is absolutely true. I don't understand it all, but I believe it all. If God in the Word says that that axe head floated on top of the water, I believe it floated on top of the water. I was teaching through Revelation last year, and one of my men came to me and said, Now, preacher, in Revelation 19, uh, when, when he comes back on a white horse, what do you think that white horse is? I said, a white horse. Have you ever wondered about the Scripture? If God, uh, you know, people are always looking for hidden meanings. If a holy God who is absolutely omniscient hid something, do you think we could find it? Y'all hearing what I'm saying? No, just take the book for what it says. Believe it. Sixty years ago, I believed the Bible. Sixty years ago, I believed in world missions. Sixty years ago, I believed in the eternity and eternal security of the soul. Sixty years ago, I believed in the power of prayer. Sixty years ago, I believed in evangelism and soul winning. Sixty years ago, I believed in the premillennial, pre-rapture return of Christ. 
All these things that 60 years ago I believed. Listen to me, friend. I still believe those things. My mind hasn't changed because the Word of God has not changed. It's amazing when you've lived as long as I have and you've known as many preachers as I've known, you have and terribly so been eyewitness to the matter I want to talk to you about for a few moments today, and that's the matter of drifting. In our Christian life, it's easy to drift. It's easy to fall back. We should not pattern our lives and our attitudes after this world who hates our God, hates our churches, believes in gender changing, murdering the unborn. I could go on and on. We ought not pattern our beliefs after them. We ought to be finding what the Scripture says and stand on that. I've believed all these things for 60 years. And no matter how long God allows me now to live, I do not believe, uh, plan to change my beliefs but the only thing that could keep me from not changing is I cannot allow myself to drift. I can't allow my heart's love for God to be less today than it was yesterday. I can't let my prayer life become almost non-existent. My faithfulness to my church, my faithfulness to my God, my faithfulness to this book. I cannot let it move an inch because then I begin to drift. You ever wondered, as I use that term drift, what that really means? A person begins to spiritually drift in their lives when they have a gradual, not a major change, but a gradual shifting in attitudes, opinions, positions. They begin to have a coldness, begin to creep in into their spiritual life. I know I'm old-fashioned. But I believe, as I said a few moments ago, just what the Bible says, and I'm going to stand with God. I've made my mind up about that. Solomon made a great mistake of drifting in his relationship with Jehovah God. Solomon was a great man. No, no one could measure, honestly, his greatness. Yet, in his life, he came to nothing. The end of his life was a bitter end, and the only reason was he began to drift. He began to change an attitude. He began to change a position. He allowed his heart to become cold toward God. Let me give you a word of warning. Drifting always goes down. Drifting always leads us away, not from our salvation, but from our walk with God. And by the way, walking with the Lord doesn't come naturally. It's supernatural. You remember what Paul said? He said, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually discerned. 
And for you and I to walk in victories, it was sung about today. If we walk in victories because, number one, God empowers us to do that. Secondly, we must decide to do that. And that's by opening our heart to God. We can close our heart or we can open our heart. I want you to do something for me, okay? If you don't have arthritis in your hands, put your two hands up like this, would you? Okay. Now, I want you to close your fist. I want you to grip them. Oh, come on, grip them tight. You know, really grip them. Just really hold them. See, that's a closed heart. Not much can get in there. Now, do this. Let it go. Do you feel that? That's opening your heart. God, here I am. Am. Isaiah chapter 6, the great prophet Isaiah was being talked to by God, and Isaiah heard God say, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Listen to Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. Notice very carefully, he did not say, Here I am. That would be his location. Well, Lord, here I am. He said this, here am I. That's surrender. That's dedication. Then he said, Lord, send me. We have to open our heart to the things of God. After 60 years of preaching, I can tell you this. I have seen way too many examples of preachers and church members who have drifted. And I'll be honest, it breaks my heart. You know why? Because the greatest thing in this world is to be a child of God. And then right after that, the greatest thing is to be in harmony with the God who saved you and to walk in His will. How easy... It is to drift. Churches, I'm afraid, Pastor, I'm afraid maybe we've made it too easy for people to drift. We've not challenged them to the Christ life. We've not challenged them to daily, as Paul said, die daily. Die to ourselves. Die to our self-will. Die to what we want and say, Dear God, not my will, but thine be done. Is that not what the God-man said in Gethsemane? Not my will, but thine be done. Oh, that's one of the things, by the way, that I believe with all my heart, I just can't understand, is how God became man. Man never became God. God became a man. And that God-man in that garden, he prayed, Lord, that this cup might pass from me. He wasn't talking about the cross. He was talking about being separated from his Father for the first time in eternity past and the last time for eternity future. God the Father was going to forsake His Son on the cross for me, for you. 
You know, and again, I'm sure you probably get tired of hearing, especially old preachers say, when I was a young person. Well, I have to say that a lot now because it's going to get where I can't remember when I was a young person. But when I was a young person, all the Baptist churches in my town, Garland, Texas, had four services a week, Sunday school, morning service, evening service, Wednesday night service. We couldn't have Little League on Wednesday night because they couldn't get any kids to play. Mom and Dad had them all in church. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? I remember my mother, bless her heart, she's in heaven, has been for many years. I, I was, to be honest, I was a good baseball player. And when we'd have revival in summertime, now back then revivals went Sunday to Sunday. And when my mother signed me up for Little League, she'd say, now, July a certain date, uh, we're in revival. John won't be here on Wednesday night till after church. That made me so stinking mad. Now, she let me wear my little ball. Well, it never was little. Uh, she'd let me wear my ball uniform to church, and as soon as it was over, she'd get me in the car and take me, and thank God I was good enough I could be put in the game and play. But I'd missed three or four innings. We didn't only play but six. That one made me mad. But I thank God I had parents who took a stand and said, my boy's going to church. Well, you have an obligation to the team. No, Mama told him before we got started, he won't be here on Wednesday. And we surely didn't play on Sunday. Matter of fact, my daddy wouldn't even let me put my ball glove on my hand on Sunday. We didn't have a newspaper on Sunday until I got a paper route. Then daddy compromised and we could have a paper on Sunday. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have paper. It's not wrong to play ball. None of that. I'm saying, where is Jesus and our commitment to Him in all of this? A lot of churches have stopped having services because they want family time. Well, if that's working, folk, why are our families in such bad shape? Are y'all hearing me? Seem like I'm talking to myself. I mean, a while ago was a good place to say amen. <laughs> Oftentimes I've seen in churches and pastors have told me when I've been preaching there, boy, I just wish my deacons and Sunday school teachers would be faithful to church. My soul. Can I be honest with you? If I was pastor, and I'm not pastoring anymore, but if I was a pastor and my Sunday school teachers didn't come to Sunday school, I'd take all the kids from the nursery to adults, put them in the auditorium. I'd teach them myself rather than have an unfaithful person because you cannot present Christ in His entirety if your heart's not in with what God's doing in your local church. What an opportunity it is to be faithful. What an opportunity that is to be a witness to family and friends and neighbors that Liberty Baptist Church, my home church, is very important to me. It's a priority to me. We that are saved, so oftentimes we look at the unsaved and say, you know, they ought to do better. Do you think they could ever look at us and say, you know, Christians ought to do better? 
More than that, do you think Jesus ever looks at us and says, I wish you'd do better? It's amazing when you look at Solomon's life, what caused him to drift? It's easy the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's always been our three enemies. This world makes a bid for your attention and for your honor and for your devotion. They seek it every day. You ever thought about advertising? You know what the goal of advertising is? It's to make you unhappy with what you have. Boy, you need that car because it's got that on it, whatever that is. But they actually charge you more for that. And that breaks. Then you're going to go get another one. And as long as men make them, they're going to break. But the world just makes a bid, a, a real appeal to us to not be faithful to God. The true nature of Solomon's idolatry did not keep him from being a born again or believer in God Almighty. And my dear friend, I can tell you this morning that once you're truly born again, nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. But don't base everything on that. Realize that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. I've been becoming new ever since I got saved as a 19-year-old teenager. And here I am 60 years later, and I'm still learning the Christian life. I'm still learning how I need to better and more fully walk with God. I like what Paul said. He said, you know, I hadn't arrived yet. I haven't been apprehended. I, I haven't gotten there yet. Well, man, if Paul didn't make it totally there, you think we're going to? But we look and we go for the prize of the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus. We go for it. We go for it. Last night, we were joking a little bit about when we were going to leave the ball game. Now, I'm from Texas. It was cold as a woolly booger last night there. I had a, one of my windbreakers laid out to put in my suitcase, and I didn't do it, so Brother Doug had to take me to Dick's Sporting Goods, and I bought me a windbreaker for last night, and I'm thinking... About, you know, sixth inning, I think, thank God I got this thing. Had a hood on it. I put that hood up over my hard head. It was cold, and I kept thinking, I wonder if they're talking about leaving. I mean, it's one to nothing. We hadn't hit the ball in four innings. Maybe this would be a good time to think about the godly service tomorrow and being in church and, and really serving God. It's about time for us to get up and leave and get a hot dog on the way out. <laughs> Boy, I'm glad we stayed to that last inning. The Dodgers finally hit the ball. And we won. Bottom of the ninth. Walk-off double. We won.
Scored two runs. We won two to one. I'm giving y'all an update on, on Dodger baseball, all right? I won't embarrass you how many Cub fans are here, but when you think about Solomon and you think about his whole life, he never ceased to be a believer, but he ceased to go on with God. And he lost it all. He even lost the kingdom. God tells him in 1 Kings chapter 12, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. But I won't do it in your lifetime because of David, your father. But I will take it away from your son, Jeroboam. And by the way, he did that and divided the kingdom, 10 northern kingdoms, the two southern kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Why did God do that? Because of the sin of Solomon. He drifted. He just simply drifted. Preacher, have you ever heard church members at times, maybe not here, we're not talking about y'all, we're talking about other churches, okay? Well, preacher, everybody's doing it. Your kids ever tell you that? I want to go here. Why? Well, everybody's going. Oh, I pulled that on my dad when I was in high school. They had a party, and he, I said, Dad, I want to go. He said, no, I don't have a good feeling about that, son. I don't think you ought to go. I said, Dad, everybody, everybody's going. He said, really? I said, yes, sir. He said, name them. I said, sir? He said, name them. Well, after I named my friends, there wasn't anybody else I knew that was going. He said, well, son, surely that's not everybody. And he said, by the way, if everybody was going, everybody wouldn't be going. I said, Daddy, you lost me. He said, you're not going. Mama's not going. I'm not going. There's three of us that aren't going. <laughs> Everybody's doing it. If you believe that, you're being misled. You ever heard about this? God gave this to me. I don't have many good thoughts, I guess. I got one about two months ago. Man, it, it's great. The difference in can't and won't. I can't come tonight, preacher. I, I would be back, but I can't. That means that God has placed something in your life that you cannot get out of, so you have to stay home. Now, that's a good place to say amen right there. Want is where you just don't want to do it, so you don't. Big difference in can't and won't. Hey, if this afternoon you start running high fever and throwing up, please don't come tonight. I'm afraid you'll give me double COVID. Please don't do that. But if you're home at night and the ball game's about half through, it's not a want, it's a can't. If you can't, God understands because God's allowed it. If you won't, God also understands that. And that can start the drifting process. Have you ever seen fanatics at a ball game? I sat by one last night. He's an usher back there at that door. <laughs> I mean, he fussed at every batter that came up. Fussed at the umpire. Come on, blue. The guy had black on. Fanatic. 
Isn't that amazing? We can do that at a ball game. You ever go watch your grandchildren play ball? They hit that ball out the deep left field. You sit there and say, that's good. I'm glad he hit that thing. No, you're up on the backstop shaking the fence and screaming, run, run, run. We come to church and get the holy quiet. What's important to us? It's amazing. What's the cost of drifting in a hurry? Solomon was a wise man, yet he drifted. He drifted away. He was a God-blessed man, a wealthy man, a prominent man, a man that over the known world was feared. But the Bible says here in, verse, in chapter 11, it says that God became angry with Solomon because of his sin. Greatly blessed, but he became selfish. He became evil thinking. He just followed the crowd. Those nations round about him, the Ammonites, the Zidonians, all those around him, he began to worship their gods. He began to build high places and altars to those gods. When God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Listen to me. What became important to him was the, wives, the, the voice of his strange wives from those countries. I love Psalm 1. Blessed is a man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Listen to me. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his delight, he meditates day and night. He feasts on the Word. That's the only way you and I is to become students of the Word and then apply the Word's truth to our daily lives. Then we will not walk according to the counsel, how the world tells us to live. The world tells us what we're to do. We need to put our two spiritual feet flat on the ground and say, But out! I'm not following you. I'm following him. Then stand in the way of sinners. When I first read that as a young Christian, I thought, well, yeah, I'm, you know, don't, don't block them. No, he means don't make that the way of your life, the way of the world. Because then you'll begin to sit in the seat of the scornful. You'll be just like them. If you were just to read... The life of Lot in Genesis. Would you think he was saved? I wouldn't. I'd think he was lost as Hitler. You don't know he was saved till you come to Peter's writings in the New Testament when that righteous man vexed his righteous soul from day to day. That's the security of the believer but it's also telling us how far we can go away from God. What's the cure? Recognize. Nobody knows whether or not you've drifted in your life. Nobody knows that but you and God. I can help you 
if you tell me what you're doing, how you're living, because I can line things up with the book. But nobody knows but you and God. I, I get so tickled. Sometimes I, I had a staff member at Parkview, and, and he, he would had the bad habit. He'd say, I don't even think they're saved. I don't see any fruit. You ever heard somebody say that? I don't see any fruit. I asked him one day, I said, when did God give you the right to be a fruit inspector? <laughs> and by the way, he's talking about false prophets there, false teachers, not, not salvation. I know that a man is lost because of his teaching, not by looking at his life. Recognize, then ask God to forgive you. Greatest verse in the scriptures for the Christian is if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And I love this, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like the cleansing part. Wipe the stain away. Restored to fellowship. Justified. Just if I'd never sinned. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'm convinced of one thing. If you're here today and you truly know the Lord Jesus, I am convict, uh, convinced today that if you have drifted in your life, the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart. That's in that deep recess. That's in, that's in that part of you where nobody knows but you and God. He's fingered around your heart. He may be even squeezing it a little bit. Preacher, what should I do about it? Confess it. You say, what do I confess? You confess anything the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He'll guide you into all truth. I remember reading a message by Billy Sunday years ago in a big meeting in Buffalo, New York, and a man came forward. All the workers were busy. Mr. Sunday stepped around, met him, and he said, Brother Sunday, I'm not right with God, but I don't know, I don't know what's wrong. Mr. Sunday looked at him and said, just kneel right there and guess at it. He said he guessed it right the first time. Holy Spirit will tell you what. What's the problem? But be willing, child of God, to act like a child of God and obey the Father. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.